Today I will believe and confess that Jesus Christ was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And by Jesus' stripes, I am healed. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you again for the opportunity to be found in your house. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ, our Savior, and Father, for what you continually do here on this earth and through his works, Heavenly Father, that were performed more than 2,000 years ago. Father, we thank you for this day, for each person that hears, Heavenly Father, as Sister Miranda mentioned earlier, Lord, that these words will not just pass over their eardrums, but that they would hear it and take action as well. Father, we thank you for all that you do. We pray, Heavenly Father, for our pastor, for his wife, for each and every member. And Lord, we thank you during this time, Heavenly Father, that again, our church will be edified and that each of us, Heavenly Father, will be strengthened in one way or another. We give you all praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, the message that I have, um, I want to just first ask a couple questions, and uh, hopefully we can ponder those, and maybe it gets us started in the direction um, that God kind of brought me to get to this point in this message. So the first question I'm going to ask is, how do you feel when you see people out begging for money? Uh, when people are in need, what does that invoke on the inside of you? Um, if you were like me, um, I always kind of would look at that from a different perspective when I was younger in life. I was kind of like everybody else, get a job and all that stuff. Now I look at it a little bit different because of Jesus Christ and because of what God has done for me. Uh, do we see that when we're in those situations where either, and not so much someone begging, but some, when someone needs help, whatever that might be, someone, someone on the side of the road or someone asks for something to eat, do we see it as a nuisance or he's just trying to scam me? And sometimes you may need to be careful because that could be a case. However, is it also an opportunity for us to deliver God's love to other human beings, which is what he has called us towards? So in this message, what I want to do is try to reveal God's humanity through our Savior, Jesus Christ. I think it's important that we recognize that because I know as a child, I always thought of God as this guy that, you know, if you didn't do this, he was going to get you. And, you know, he's gonna, if you told a lie, he's going to strike you down and all of those types of things. And as I've gotten to know him better and as I've learned more, I recognize that that's not necessarily how he does it because if that was the case, we'd all have a big burn mark across our head from being struck down for lying or for whatever else it is that we've done. So I want to try to talk a bit about God's humanity. And so today's message is entitled God's Human Touch. God's Human Touch. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. I believe that God, he is both just and he's compassionate. And he reveals that to us through the life of Jesus Christ. So the first scripture that I want to go to is Mark chapter 14, verse 62. Mark 14, verse 62. 
When you get it, say amen. I heard one amen. I heard another. I guess that means it's time for us to go ahead and read it. So it's, it says, uh, so, so basically, I'll give a little clarity for where we are right here, for Mark 14, 62. Uh, basically, Jesus is uh, going through his trial time, right? And they're asking him these questions, and Jesus really isn't responding until the high priest asks him, who do you, ask him, art thou the, the Christ, the son of the blessed, or the son of God? And then Jesus said, as we see in Mark 14, 62, and Jesus said, I am, and ye shall see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So many times I've talked to people, I've had people where we've had conversation, and many times if they, sometimes it's usually people that I've spoken to that don't really believe in God, or they say, you know, well, Jesus never said that he was God. But right here, the high priest asked him a question. He said, but he held his peace, and this is the scripture before, but he held his peace, answering nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, art thou the Christ? the son of the, of the blessed, or the son of God. Jesus said, I am. So, because Jesus didn't say, I am, basically what the high priest said, which was, I'm the, I'm the Christ, I'm the son of God, does that mean that he, he didn't? So, what I believe is that if I have to tell somebody that I am a certain thing, I probably am not. I'll give you an example. Many of you know I'm a basketball fan. But there's this great debate about LeBron James and Michael Jordan. Who's the greatest? Is it Kareem? Is it this one? Is it Wilt? I totally believe, and I always have believed, that if I have to come and tell you that I'm the greatest or I'm this or that, or if Jesus had to come and say that he's God, he had to come and convince you, his life convinced people. In the same way, these guys on the court, and everybody's in, this isn't, to say if you're a LeBron fan or a Michael fan or a Wilt fan or whatever, that one is worse than the other. However, I do believe if either of those guys has to come out and say, well, yes, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, you're, you're, you're rattling your own saber now. You, you're tooting your own horn. So the, the, the common thought is, is that the greatest, the, the greatest compliment that you can get is from those that you compete against. So usually those people, if you're that great, they're going to say, oh, well, yeah, 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 that, that guy there. You don't have to come out and say it. So Jesus wasn't walking around, even though there were many instances where Jesus showed that he was God. and He said, yes, I am he. And he told people, told his disciples, you know, when they talked that, yeah, I'm God, but keep that down. You don't need to say that right now. My time has not come. So Jesus did those things. He knew who he was, but it wasn't time for him to come out and say it publicly so much, even though he did acknowledge and people were ready to kill him because he acknowledged that he was God. No, he didn't come out and say, yes, I'm Jesus, I'm God's son, I'm this, that, and the other, in that fashion where he walked around daily saying that. But yes, there were times where he said it, and we see it right here. So we see that God was on earth through Jesus Christ, and he was God, and he proved many times that he was God. He raised Lazarus. He healed the woman with the issue of blood. He 
he, he heals so many people that the Bible says that if we put all the things in, the, if we tried to put all these things in a book, we, we couldn't. He healed blind people, gave them their sight back. People couldn't hear. He gave them their hearing back. So many things that he did, many which probably are not even written in here. It says everywhere he went, he healed people. So because of that, we see that God, that Jesus is God and vice versa. Now, how all that works with the Trinity, I cannot explain all of that. However, we know that through all of the prophets and through all of the things that go on, that Jesus is God. So we see here Jesus declares that he's God. And when he says that he's the son of man, I always kind of like, well, what do you mean he's the son of man? Everybody's the son of man. But we're talking about Jesus here. What he means for him is both that he is human as we are, flesh and blood, flesh and blood bones, all of that. He's a, he's a human. He's the son of Adam. But also that he is the coming Messiah as well. He's the son of man, the son of Adam, but he's also God. And he has been given authority by the Most High. And he reigns, over, he, he reigns over his kingdom through his weakness, which we see on the cross. So when Jesus died on the cross, yes, everybody was sad. It was a, a horrible time. But we should rejoice right now that he did because it's that work that saves us from our own sins. I also want to go to, uh, let's go to Psalms chapter 8. We're going to see a little bit more about this son of man. Psalms chapter 8, if you would, you'd go there with me. Say amen once you get it. Heard a bunch of amens. You guys are a little bit faster than me. I haven't got it. If you pull it up, I'll, <laughs> I know where it is. I'm just going in the wrong direction here. Okay. We ready there, Psalms 8? I'll just read it. It says, to the chief mus musician upon Giddeth, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man? We see that, that right there. We're talking about the son of man, that thou visited him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with, the glory and, with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. That's good right there. That's fine. We, we, I, I got what we wanted out of that. So we see where, where God is saying, where, where David in this psalm refers to the Son of Man. Again, God is human. He's flesh. But he has been given authority, and we see here that in this scripture, that David is prophesying basically about Jesus Christ and who he is. So it's not just Jesus saying this. We see here David saying this. And further on, we'll see what Isaiah says also about this. But before we go there, we want to let's go to uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 52. And what we'll see is even as a child, Jesus was on his task. Jesus did not 
you know, I'm sure he, he, he may have played. I don't know. It doesn't say much about what he did as a child, but we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 52, that he was on his task. So I'll just talk a little bit about it, but I still want to read that. I just, I, I, I think it was, uh, not think it was, when I was a kid, I was always kind of uh, surprised in this scripture here, because this is the one where it talks about where, they, where he and his family went to uh, worship, and Jesus got, basically they didn't know where he was, and I was like, man, how, how is that? And it made me feel like Mary and Joseph must have not been real good parents. I didn't know that, where Jesus was at. You know, how you lose your child? It'd be like, you know, uh, Harry and April losing, losing their child. It's like, what are you doing? But he was 12. He was walking. Their, their child was walking at this point. But I, I, I just did not understand it. But we're going to read and get a little clarity on that, and uh, we'll talk more about this so that we understand more about, you know, God's humanity and his God's human touch there. So let's read uh, chapter Luke, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 52. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they supposing him to have been in the company when a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintances. So before we go further, just keep it right there. So basically what I was saying about how did they lose their child. So basically Jesus was, well, they, his parents thought that Jesus was with his kinfolk. You know? So they had a large company. It was a lot of people. It wasn't like it was just two or three of them walking. And, oh, we left our child in, you know, in, the, in the temple. There was a bunch of them. They figured, oh, he's with his cousins or whoever else were with him. So anyway, that's the clarity that I've received a long time ago after reading this. So uh, verse 45, and when they found him not, they, re- they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. He's 12 years old. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And and he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Okay, so, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. So, okay, you see that Mary was speaking to Jesus when they found him. You know, they, they were amazed at what he was doing. Uh, they were sorrowful because you can imagine if you hadn't seen your child in three days and you went back to get him and when you saw him, you would be pretty excited that you found him, Right? So Mary is talking to him, but one thing that was interesting to me is that Joseph, you didn't hear him saying anything. And then Jesus said, you know, hey, I'm about my father's business. So Joseph, from what I understand, was a carpenter and, you know, probably taught his children uh, the trade, probably taught Jesus some things as well. So Joseph had to be somewhat perplexed as to what was being said here, like about my father's business. 
Now, obviously, Joseph had a clue as to who Jesus was and what was going on in his life and probably understood, but I'm sure me, as a father, if that were me and my child was supposed to be with me, I'd probably be pretty upset. But a mother, in Mary's case, she was, one, just glad that she found it. I, on the other hand, if my child was gone, I would be upset, like, man, you made us come all the way back over here, and we had to do this, I got stuff I got to do, and so on and so forth, just like fathers do. You know, we, we go into stuff many times that we probably shouldn't at the, at the wrong time. Man, you just found your child after three days. And not only did you find him, but he's in there listening to the doctors and whoever else was in the temple at 12 years old and asking them questions, and they were also amazed with him. So I'm saying all of this to say that even as a child, Jesus, who we know as God, and was given authority through God, his true father, was about his business even at 12 years old. And that's what he told his parents. And so even though, we, and we don't know these things about Joseph, but even though he probably was like, what is going on? Why am I having to deal with this? It says at the end that Mary kept those things in her heart. And she understood that there was something special, obviously, about this child, as the scriptures tell us. The next thing, um, oh, so I'm sorry. So we, we talked about that. So it says, uh, the next thing that I want to deal with is, uh, as we move from that, we also, we saw that Jesus was about his business during that time. But when Jesus was crucified, he said something that was very interesting. And uh, as he was as he was about to die, his last words were, it is finished. So they gave Jesus vinegar when he was up on the cross. So we see here at 12 years old Jesus saying that I'm about my father's business. We also see Jesus on the cross right before he's about to die say, it is finished. So what it was Jesus speaking of? So I believe, obviously, that Jesus was speaking of his mission here on earth, obviously, because he had died and was crucified, but also the fact that he had satisfied, he had done what he was supposed to do to satisfy the law, the law of God here on earth. And many times what happens is when I talk to people, especially when we kind of get deep in the conversation about Jesus and the Old Testament, well, Jesus did away with the Old Testament is what I hear a lot of people saying. And that's not true. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament, through his death, through his works, through all of the things that the prophets prophesied about Jesus. Jesus fulfilled it. He, did, he, he completed his mission. He said it right before he died. He said, it is finished, and the scripture says that he gave up the ghost. He was done. He, he finished what he needed to complete here in human form as a man on earth. And it was a good thing that he did, as I said earlier. So we recognize that through God's humanity, we are saved. And the scripture says in John chapter 3.16, John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God fulfilled that on the cross. He fulfilled all of those things through what he did when he was here. And the great thing about it is, is that we, as I talked a little bit about last uh, time that I was up here, we can repent and we can come to him and we can grow as a result of that because of what, because of what God did through Jesus Christ as a human being. 
So the next thing that I want to talk about a little bit here in our message is the Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, I don't think I gave that to you, so you don't even need to worry about going there. It says, My, uh, come unto me, all ye that labor. Let me get there because I want to read it. I'm sorry. Give me one second here. I want to read it and make sure that I'm getting everything in there. It's not a long. Okay. One second. Okay. Here we are. Matthew 11, 28. Okay. So I'm going to read it to you. It says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, not puffed up, not proud, but I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So our relationship with Jesus Christ is kind of summed up in this as well. So when Jesus said this scripture, the people he was talking to, these are people that farm, they probably had animals, they did manual labor, many of, many of them. And what he was talking about, this yoke, I kind of did not understand it, but a yoke, for anybody that has been on a farm, especially an older farm, my, my uh, grandparents had horses and cows and all of those things. You take this yoke and you put it around their neck, and sometimes there was a double yoke. And I think this is kind of what Jesus was talking about when he said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So Jesus isn't saying that we're not going to have a yoke and that we're not going to have burdens. That's not what he said. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So that yoke, many times, if it's a double yoke, there are two oxen. There could be two humans. There could be whatever, two. But it makes that, that yoke makes the burden lighter. Whatever you're doing, you're sharing the work. But the great thing about Jesus and what God has done through him is that when we have burdens or problems or troubles, just as things are going on here, you know, we, we've have, we have people in this church right now that are going through some things. And God is saying here through Jesus Christ that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You can yoke up with Jesus. So the people that, he, that Jesus was talking to definitely understood what he was talking about when he said this, that you can get with me and your yoke is going to be easy. The pulling's going to be a lot lighter. He never, Jesus has never promised us this flowery life that we're going to come to Jesus and he's going to be like a lottery ticket. You know, I get my life. I, I found Jesus. I got it. I'm about to go. I'm about to hit it big. I got Jesus. I, anything I want now, I'm going to have it. I'm going to name it and claim it. Not that that's not real, but that's not what God promised us. He, he specifically tells us, you know, he tells us that we're going to have some troubles and some trials and some tribulations in this life. That's just real. That's, that's life with or without Jesus. But why would you choose life without Jesus when he tells you that he has a yoke, that he's going to help you to pull this through? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And a burden, we all have them. I have some. I had some burdens yesterday that I had to just repent about because I was pretty frustrated about some things. But last night, you know, I, I went to bed, I prayed about it, and I, I don't have that weight on me now because of, Jesus, because of what God did through Jesus Christ, through Jesus' humanity. Jesus walked some things out for us. We saw that when they were asking, when I, when I talked about the scripture earlier, when they, 
were asking Jesus about him, whether he was God or not. You know, Jesus didn't snap at him. He didn't say Jesus cried out and said, man, yeah, I am. He just said, I am, you know, as you said, basically. So we don't have to carry those things. Even when we feel like that, the spirit of God that lives on the inside of us, because of what Jesus did, gives us the opportunity to not be so harsh and brash at people, but to show that, yes, we have what we say we have on the inside of us, that love of Jesus Christ, and we can deal with people and things in a way and in a manner that God wants us to. So I, I'm, I know that my life, we were talking earlier this morning, has been, has been kept by Jesus, uh, that many of the things that I try to carry myself, Jesus said, hand, hand that over to me. I can do that for you. You don't have to carry all of that, those burdens that I have. He, he said his burden is light. So he says he has a burden, but it's light. You don't have to you know, be struggling. I'm just doing this for you. I'm just carrying this. I'm tugging it, tugging it. You don't have to do all of that. We can give it to Jesus, and he'll take care of it. Now, one thing about Jesus as we see here, talked about a yoke. A yoke is used to kind of balance things out. But life with Jesus is pretty balanced. It's, it's a balance, and, and everywhere that we see descriptions of Jesus, we see sometimes this, I, I kind of consider them extremes. You know, Jesus was considered uh, the healer and wounded. And so the balance in that is that in between healing which Jesus did, and being wounded when he was on the cross, all of these other good things took place. We, we see that if we read through the gospel about Jesus' life, that Jesus was pretty steady. He was balanced. Now, some of the things that he said outraged people because they didn't understand. They didn't have New Testament scripture. They had what the prophets gave them about Jesus up until Jesus came. So all the things that we know that are wonderful about Jesus those people didn't have it, which caused lots of amazement. You know, Jesus said stuff like, you know, in order to follow me, you got to uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood. So people was like, what? But we have scripture to enlighten that for us. So we're not like, oh, that's crazy. We, we understand, maybe the, I'm sure the first time, because I know the first time I read it, I was like, oh, man, I don't want to do that. But we have scripture to understand. But Jesus was very balanced. And certain things he said and did because of the time and what he was trying to accomplish in saying what he said. But we see that our God, Jesus Christ, he, he, was, not, he was not off one way. He wasn't extreme or anything. He may have said some things that were, but he was very balanced. And because of that, because of the balance that Jesus portrayed through his life, it makes it much easier for us to follow. Many times, Nowadays, when we hear these different and new religions, it's always something to the far right, way over here to the far left. You know, you got to do a thing, you got to do this, you got to do that in order to be a part of this religion. That's cultish. Whenever people are forcing you or you got to do this in order to be, are we going to? Now, there are certain things of any group or club or organization that you have to fulfill, right? So if you're in a Greek organization or whatever it is that you're a part of, there are certain things you have to fulfill, and if you don't fulfill those things, okay, you know, you got it. But when it becomes stuff that disassociates you from your family, you know, you got to come over here in the woods with us for three months in order to get this initiation to do blah, 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 
I'm like, really? You know, I just want to serve God. I'm not, I'm, I'm just trying to find God. I'm not trying to be Grizzly Adams or, or Daniel Boone. I just, I just want to serve God. Or, you know, to the degree that, well, man, in order for you to be with us, you got to go and uh, mess this house up and do this. And do. That's, Jesus is very balanced. Yes, Jesus gave us some things that we needed to do. But if you don't want to, Jesus, he, he tells us, you know, the Bible tells us what happens when we don't do things uh, in accordance with the way he says do them. But he's not, he, he, loves, he loves the world. God says it's his will that all men be saved. So he wants us to all be saved. But he doesn't say, okay, if you don't come in here, I'm just going to completely destroy you on earth. No, the Bible says that God is slack. He gives us time. He wants, us to, he wants all men to come into the knowledge of him into the knowledge of the beloved. But if we don't, that's a decision that we make. And as a result of that, as a result of the sins that Adam had, what happened in the garden, there were certain, certain things that were set off. And God didn't, in his, his original design, it was not for sin to be in the world. But we made a choice as human beings that set off a whole bunch of things in motion. So a lot of times people are saying things like, well, if God is this, then why that? If God is so good, why all this evil? Well, God didn't bring the evil. He didn't. People will, will make statements that, well, you know, if God is so good, why didn't he do this? Um, why does this child have this disability? Or why, why does this person have this ailment? God, the adversary brought about those things. Nowhere do you see before the fall that God set some, some type of sin thing up or whatever. Once sin entered the world, that's when a whole plethora of things just exploded that took us on the route that we're on, which is why, again, Jesus came, and God gave us Jesus, God's human touch, so that we recognize that God is good and that he wants us to, to be reconciled unto him. With that said, that God is good, I want to talk just a, a, a bit. Uh, I want to go to uh, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53 and 1. And what we'll see in there is kind of what Jesus was about. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. Let's go there. Uh, let me know when you get there. And what, 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 what we'll see is that uh, Isaiah, about 750 years before Jesus stepped on the scene, Isaiah starts, gives us some, some insight as to who the Messiah was going to be. This is 750 years before. So obviously the Bible points us, the whole Bible points us to the works of Jesus, tells us, gives us God's character. And as we read it and start understanding it, we see what God is about. And we see that, again, through Jesus' life and, and his death on the cross. But this is going to tell us a little bit about the character of, uh, of, of God, of, of Jesus here. So Isaiah 53.1, and I'm going to get here because uh, sometimes when I read what I have on my paper... For some reason, it's a little odd, even though it says it comes from King James Version. All right, so I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. It says, Who hath believed thy report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Now, this is Isaiah speaking of Jesus. It says, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he hid, as it were, our faces 
from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But here it says, but we, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, all of our sin. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. That tells us a bit about who Jesus was. As we read in our, in our uh, before we get started with our message about Jesus being wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, that's what this was prophesied 700 and some odd years before Jesus ever came on the scene. So many times we'll talk to people that'll say, well, this Bible, it's just a bunch of made-up stories. It's not real. It's, it's, not, it's, it's incongruent. It just doesn't make sense. You know, just a bunch of men got together and pinned this stuff together to fool people, you know, because y'all Christians, y'all religious folk, your minds are small. You know, you, you just need something to keep you right, you know, keep the, the people in line. Y'all don't think real good. That's why you believe this stupid stuff. The opposite is true, though. The Bible is clear. It says, you know, it's basically you're a fool if you don't, if you don't believe this. That's what it said. Not me. This is what the word is saying. So if you're studying this word, if you're seeking it, you're on the right path. Because it's a fool who says in his heart that there is no God. There is one. All this stuff here, and it's corroborated many other times. There's many other texts, many other books that may or may not be in line with what the Bible says. But these are not fictional people. Isaiah is not fictional. There's a whole war going on. I think I mentioned that last. A whole war going on that has the attention of the world because of Abraham. Yeah, because of the, because of the Jews and the Arabs. They're, they're fighting right now, and it says that's going to go on forever until Jesus comes back. Now, most people will say, oh, you know, we're going to have peace in the Middle East. I hope so. <laughs> but that's not, what this, that's not what this declares. And so I'm saying all of that to say that this word is real. Isaiah was a real person. If you ask anybody that knows, that lives in those regions where Isaiah and Jesus and Abraham, Moses, and all these people were from, they will tell you yes. See, we here in the West, especially here in America, 200 years is a long time. You know, it's a long time. It's really not. The people in China, they know their people back from two, three, four thousand years ago. By name. Written out. So, for us, when you hear the argument that this scripture isn't real, and this Jesus that we're talking about who was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, that he didn't exist, this is just made up. These are not nursery rhymes. This isn't once upon a time. This isn't, uh, well, you know, we, we just made up. A st All this stuff corroborates itself. It corroborates itself according to the Bible, even though it may not be, uh, the, the, the Bible may not be written totally chronologically. But it is factual. This is not 
placed of. So as we see, 750 years before Isaiah prophesying about Jesus and who he is and what he would go through, it, it's, again, Isaiah, even before Jesus came, and that's why when people say that the Old Testament, ah, we can just do away with that, that's wrong. Isaiah is prophesying about our Lord right here. This is God giving us an opportunity through the writings of Isaiah to show us that he has compassion and he will have even more once the Messiah is here and we will see it. And he talks about it. He even talk, he talks about his death. All of this stuff is real. And we have plenty right to recognize and understand that it's real and it's God's human touch that we need and that we need to seek as we go through things, right? So I'm going to also read here another Scripture in Isaiah, that's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. Again, another prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. If you go there, I think she has it up there. And I am there this time. It didn't take so long. So it says, uh, well, I'm, I'm actually just going to read uh, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 6. I won't read verse 7. It says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, we see through those titles about God's character, not just his character, but what he will do at this time, which Isaiah is prophesying about, but what he did, because we came after Jesus, and we get to see that he was wonderful. He was, our, he was a counselor. He's the mighty God, which he professed that he was God, as we read earlier, that he's the everlasting father and the prince of peace. So for any of us that need peace, Jesus is where we find it. Without God, there's no peace. And you're not going to have peace without God. So Jesus, who we declare to be, to be God, is where we derive our peace. Now, if that's not where you derive yours from, go right ahead. I'm going to stand firm with who Jesus declares himself to be and who he says he is. The, 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 the wonderful thing about, uh, about God is that through Jesus Christ, and I heard Pastor White say this, and he, he basically said that Jesus is concerned more about you than your business, than any other thing that you ascribe, subscribe to be, whatever title you have. Uh, in fact, what he said, if I remember correctly, was Jesus is more concerned about him than his ministry. And I think we can all kind of fill in the blank. I can say uh, Jesus is concerned about Chris more than my business. You should be able to say, Jesus is concerned about you more than whatever it is that you're doing and putting on. Jesus is the, God sent Jesus Christ to come down in man form so that all the things that we worry about, the worries that I had yesterday when I was working, the worries that you may have had when you were working through the week, again, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. We can give those things over to him. Not that life would be easy again, but that we have someone to bear those things for us in those times where it's super trying, 
And we all have them. We all, and if you haven't, keep living. Let the, keep letting the, uh, the, the, the sun rise and the moon come up as well. You know, you're going to have them. It, it's, you're gonna, we're all going to have those tough times. But thank God through Jesus Christ, you know, God says that he is the God of all comfort. So when we, we have things going on in our life, he gives us comfort through tough times. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. You're going to have to push through. You're going to have to work or do whatever it is that you need to do in order to get there. But sometimes it can just be tough. And sometimes, like I did this morning, because I've had some little times, this has been an interesting year for me. You know, it's been kind of trying. But last night, before I went to bed, I said, man, I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to, I said to myself, uh, it was a long day yesterday, and I said, this morning I'm going to do something because I'd been running. My time wasn't right with God. You know, I wasn't spending an appropriate time this week with God. I'd get up, I'd pray, do whatever, but I didn't spend any time with him. And I said last night before I um, went to bed, I said, you know what? When I get up in the morning, I'm going to have tea with God, and me and Jesus are going to have some tea because I need some time with God. I think I said last week, you know, the way you spell, maybe I didn't say it last week, maybe it was a little bit long, uh, earlier than that, but the way you spell love is T-I-M-E. So I said, I'm going to put some, I need to love on God. I need to, I need to put some T-I-M-E with him because you can get to a point where stuff just start pressing down on you. And yes, you know, you, you, you need some help. You need Jesus in that other yoke and say, look, Lord, my leg's tired. I've been pushing pushing on this yoke, trying to drag and till up all of this ground. But I'm going to need you to push me just a little bit. You know, I'll come back in, Lord. I ain't going to just leave you hanging. But I'm going to get, not that I can do anything for him, but I'm going to keep pushing. And we, we, we needed that. And what was interesting, when I got up this morning, I turned my little, the, the little stove on, heated up my tea, and I made my tea. And I sat down, and I just started praying and asking God about some things. And after I finished doing that, I looked down at the mug that I had. Now, I, I like big mugs. I don't like no little bitty mug. You know, I, I need a big mug tea in it. But I looked at my mug, or at the mug that I was using, and it said, special delivery just for you. After I finished praying, I looked down and I was like, Lord, you are awesome. I, I, I mean, what more, you know, and I, I'm not one of these people that's like, oh, I see a you know, bumper sticker, I saw a billboard, and oh, that's what God want me to do. But it wasn't like I selected that. It, it, in fact, it wasn't even my mug. It was just one that was up there. It was my wife's mug, honestly. And so I had gotten it, put it down, and I had never seen that on the mug. And I looked down, and it was like, special delivery just for you. And I know I needed that time, just as we all need to spend time with the Lord, because it was, you know, it just had a lot of stuff pressing in. And I was like, there were certain things that I was trying to do, and so on and so forth. Pressure's here, people calling, you got to do this. Uh, worries over here, worries over there. And that time that I spent with him, you know, God was able to, through his awesome and mighty power, through his hand, just steal me for a time so that my thoughts would be clear. Everything wasn't just popping off like a superhighway in my head. You know, it was, it was clear. It was one lane. Lord, this is what you want me to do. I need to just kind of shut it down for a minute. But, but that's the God that we serve. That if we make time for him, you got all, he, he created time. <laughs> so we don't have to worry about him. It's us. God is waiting on us. 
You know, he wants us to draw closer to him so he can draw closer to us. That's how it works. You know, God has drawn us through his spirit to him, unto himself, so that we can be saved. But it's not a, you know, oh, you know, I got saved yesterday. Now I can live the rest of the way I want to, do what I want to do, go where I want to do, uh, live how I want to live, be around what I want to be around. Do, you know, that's not how it works. God is, is, is uh, emphatic about the fact that he wants us working. I don't know where that came from. I, I, I think I have a clue, but I'll, if you want to know, you can ask me after the service. Benefit of being at church today. I'll tell you what I think about it. It's just me, so it ain't the word. But I think I'm, I think I'm kind of spot on uh, the mindset in some of it. But God is replete. He wants us working. When he talks about wait on the Lord, he ain't talking about just sitting around, wait on him like this. Wait like a waiter, waitress. Be about your business. You know, all, all the time he's talking about us doing things. His yoke is easy. Burden is light. Yoke is easy. Burden. There's work lined up with that. Burden, if it's a burden, you know, when, when we're working many times, uh, William has been helping me, man. Sometimes we got to get down there and we got to, Got to bend them knees and not hurt our back to pick up on stuff. It's a burden. The thing is big. It's heavy. We got to pick it up. We got to get it. But Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden. He'll yoke up with you. He'll get you where you need to. But again, we have to, we have to make certain that we recognize what God's, what, Jesus's, what God's purpose was when he sent Jesus here to do what he did. Um, I want to, I'm going to do this and... Uh, I'm kind of going off script, but I'm going to do this anyway. I talked earlier about God being balanced. And one of my favorite songs is, uh, is a song written by C.C. Winer. And the name of the song is called One and the Same. And uh, I just, I would listen to the song, and I always liked the song, but the more I listened to it, the more I was like, this is so true. So what I'm going to do is, I'm just going to read the words, because I don't sing well enough to sing like C.C. Wine. But I want you to just kind of listen, because it, it does. It kind of talks a little bit about who God is. And it, whenever I'm thinking of him, many times this song would come to mind. So I'm just going to read the words to you. It says, the, the, the words of the song says, How can I begin to speak about a God that I can never comprehend? So high and mighty, and yet closer than a friend. The beginning and the end, the healer and the wounded one, father and the only child are one, one and the same. I can't do him justice with any one name. He's the holy God of heaven and the humble man who bore my shame. They are one, one and the same. That's why when I started thinking about this message, God's human touch that God is both the father and the son. He's, he's the father and the child, the only child. He's the, the begotten son. God knows everything that we have gone through. He's just. Even though we, God has given us a whole Bible, whole book for us to learn about him, has given us the opportunity to pray and seek him, we still don't totally understand everything. We never will. Our minds aren't big enough to comprehend him. However, God has given us this book that if we read it, God will assuredly put us on the path, not just read it, but read it and gain understanding, which means you have to read it more than once. You've got to stay on it. You've got to dig. But if we do those things, 
God is assuring us that he's going he's to take care of us and we're going to be where we're supposed to be. God has given us, through the life of Jesus Christ, a road map of a human going through all sorts of suffering. You know, God said that in, in, in the book of Isaiah, it talks about him being a man of sorrows. He's gone through everything that we could, any sorrow that we could have. When Jesus came to raise Lazarus, it says Jesus wept because he saw the people mourning and crying and all that. Anything that we are going through, and many are going through things right now in this local assembly, but God is more than capable of bringing us through it because of who he is, because of his vast understanding of everything. Our mind says he knows the number of hairs on our head. There's nothing that God doesn't know. God just wants us to come and seek him and recognize that Jesus went through it all. There's nothing that he hasn't gone through. So whatever your deepest secret is, whatever it may be, God says he'll, he says he'll stick closer to you than a brother. He's a friend that'll stick closer than a brother. So there's certain things I know in my life that, man, I'm not telling y'all none of whatever that certain thing is. I'm just not. I'm not that comfortable. I, you know, I'll... I, I always say that the only secret that you have is the one you keep. And there's certain things that I ain't telling nobody, not even my wife. You don't don't need to know that. However, because of God's human touch, because of Jesus Christ, I can go to Jesus. I can go in the closet. I can go wherever. I can drive off and sit in my truck and put my head down and say, Jesus, that was messed up. You're going to have to help me get over that, Father, because I just can't do it. You said that you went through it. You dealt with that. So you know that pain. Lord, I have this pain, but you're going to have to help me to, to, to get through it. That's the only way that we will ever overcome many of the things that are deep-seated in our lives. Little bit of secrets. When you was a little bitty kid, or you was a teenager, or you were a young adult, or you are an adult, or an older adult, or you're a seasoned adult, you know, there are things that go on that you just don't want to tell anybody. And I know I have those things. I've, the ones that I can remember, I've prayed about them, and I've tried to repent. And some of those things, they keep kind of recurring. Just a trick of the adversary, because he's always on the loose, always doing things. He tried to, if he tried to kill Jesus, he's definitely going to try to kill us. That's just his way, you know, the, the thief. That's, the adversary comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came so we could have life and have it more abundantly. You know, he, he, it's, uh, the adversary is, you know, always walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. That's what he wants to do. He wants to tear your life up. Now, as you're going through those, those things, we have to recognize where our security is, where our umbrella is, and that's through Jesus. And because, again, he's overcome everything, because he is the one that is uh, both lion and lamb, that he... Can, can, can rule over and keep you, but he also was humble enough to lay his life down for each of us, that that seems like the type of person that I want to be around, that when I need compassion, he's already proven it. When I need strength, he's over here as a lion. I don't have to worry. And so for me, there are certain things that I, I try to avail my mind to, that when I'm looking at those things, that it builds up the strength in me. And so there's certain things that as I peruse or do research, 
that I recognize that keeps me focused on the truth of the word and the truth of the whole entire Bible. Because again, the, the, the adversary is always going to try to keep us in confusion. He's always, when you're at your lowest, going to send this thought that you don't want to take that thought captive. You want to take captive the thoughts that God has given us to keep you built up. And so it's imperative that the things that you put in your mind, that when people are talking to you about your God is not true, or when you're hearing things on TV or radio or whatever you're listening to, I've, I've come to a place where the majority of the things that I'm listening to, I try to put aside all of the negative now. Because there's so much. You just walk outside, there's negative. Trying to go to sleep. Last night, I'm in the bed. People out doing donuts. I call 911. Hey, they out doing donuts. Oh, yeah, we've gotten calls all over the city because they out doing donuts. Thank you for calling. And, and the lady sounded exasperated. She had gotten so many calls. There's just craziness all over the place. But the wonderful thing is because of what God, because of what Jesus did, because of what God did through Jesus, we can stand, and we can stand and recognize that we are protected, that God loves us, and that because God was a human through Jesus Christ, that we don't have to, we don't have to fret, that we live a lifestyle. Our lifestyle basically leads to eternal life as a Christian. Our life, that's what our, we don't have a religion per se in that sense. There's maybe some religious aspects to what we do, but we have a lifestyle that leads to eternal life. And the wonderful thing about that is that it gives us so much freedom to do so many things. And God wants us in so many places, which I didn't understand as a kid. You know, as we grow up, there are people doing all kinds of stuff. There are people that we talk to every day. God, how, do, how are people going to hear unless there's someone to deliver a message to them? God wants us in the midst of people so that they can know more about him. God wants us when it gets tough on the job and everybody talking about the supervisor, I'm not saying you got to take his back like talking about, no, don't talk about that. I'm not saying that. But you just stand down and watch God do wonderful things in your life, how he's going to keep you. And people, the people that are supposed to come to you, they will come to you. But we just have to stand steady, even when things are tough. So if we remember that God was once a human through Jesus Christ, he, he came on earth, did all sorts of marvelous things, died, defeated the adversary. We just have to stand in that because the picture, the movie that the adversary is painting for us right now is that he has won and he hasn't. And just as some of the prophets went through things, they, they uh, and, and lost for the prophet right now for whatever reason I can't bring up his mind, but when I say this, you'll probably know who I'm talking about. But uh, when he had fought the bells, then Jezebel came back to uh, Elijah. That's right. So, and Jezebel came back, and he was on the run, and he was feeling a certain way, and he was like, Lord, I'm out here by myself. You know, Elijah was like, and God was like, no, man, there's a whole bunch more just like you. Keep pushing. And that's what we have to remember. There's more like us. This isn't the only church. You know, we love our church. But there are other people just like us that are seeking God, that are, that are pushing through, wanting to know more and more about Jesus, that are standing in the midst of darkness. And the one thing that we need to remember about God's human touch, and I'll, I'll get ready to shut down with this, is that wherever you are, no matter how dark it is, there's light. Because the light of life lives on the inside of us. Remember that. When that little doubt of fear comes in your mind, when 
You know, you sense the Holy Spirit telling you, hey, say this about me. Say this about Jesus. And that little fear comes, recognize, you light. It, wherever you are, there's light. Now, it might just be a little flicker, but you'll be able to see where you're going. A, lamp unto, a, a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my path. You are that person if you believe in Jesus Christ. Keep studying, keep praying, keep spending time with the Lord Jesus Christ. Recognize that Jesus was human, and through his humanity, we have salvation, and we have the liberty to do what it is that God has called us toward, okay? Amen? Amen. So with that, I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll, we'll dismiss afterwards. Father God, we thank you for this moment, for this time, Heavenly Father. We ask that your people, through Jesus' name, Heavenly Father, will be encouraged today, throughout this week, and forevermore in this journey, Lord. We recognize that there are times where we may fall, but Father, a champion always gets back up. And Father, we recognize that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord because of you and what you have done. We ask, God, that we remember this. We recognize, Lord, that you will remember those that remember you on that day when we are at the judgment seat, Lord. I pray that even now that everyone, Heavenly Father, will be emboldened to speak more and more in depth and more and more powerfully about the name of Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he did. Father, we praise you and we thank you even now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.